Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. What's up, Midas Mighty, and welcome to the Midas Touch Podcast. Ben Micellis joined by my brothers, Brett Micellis and Jordy Micellis. We have a great episode for you today. As always, we have Representative Malcolm Kenyatta of Pennsylvania, who serves as a state representative representing the 181st District. Representative Kenyatta, you may know, is running for United States Senate. We're going to talk to him about his Senate run. We also want to talk to Malcolm Kenyatta specifically about voting rights. Uh, You know, Pennsylvania is an interesting state. You have a Democratic governor over there. You have their General Assembly, which has a House of Representatives and a state Senate, which is narrowly controlled by GQP. And oh, do I mean GQP? Mm -hmm. Um, And there are a ton of efforts of voter suppression and voter suppression bills within those two branches of the General Assembly. And so we want to speak to Malcolm Kenyatta about his efforts to fight back against that, to bring the vote to all voters and his Senate run. But, hey, I want to say this. I got to see Brett and Jordy in person. Let's go. The first time together in over two years yesterday. Two years, two years plus, man. It was great to see you. Pretty exciting stuff. And not only did it take two years for us to all see each other in the same room, it seemingly took two years for Ben to arrive at the house and to see (laughs) us yesterday because Ben was incredible. If you want to wonder, I'm sure you're, you know, I see people wondering now. I thought you guys were all together. Why aren't you recording the podcast together? Well, let me tell you a little something about Ben. Ben is good at a lot of things. Great at a lot of things. Like like excellent, like a genius, like yes. high high level, high just level. In, incredibly intelligent. But being on time to things <laughs> is not one of his strengths. So yesterday we were going to uh, we were recording something for another project we're working on, which you'll find out down the line. And uh, Ben was supposed to be here at what time, Jordy? Eleven thirty, I believe. He it was. was supposed to be there at at eleven. Eleven, 11 on the dot. 11 a.m. So we get a text from Ben at 11 a.m. saying traffic is really bad right now. I'll be there at 1230. Now, it's not even possible with like the world's worst traffic unless he was just leaving at that moment or was planning on leaving in like a half hour from then to get there. I get you could use L.A. traffic as a thing. That's not a not not a thing, Ben. Were you just starting to leave? Let's get to the bottom of this. Ben. Yeah. Were you just yes, or no. yes or no? Yes or no? Yes or no? When you said that text, starting to leave, did you just leave? Yeah. Or had you even left the house yet? Yes. I had left the house. (laughs) Yes, you just started to leave. Yes, I had just started to leave. I had left the house. Let me ask you. You opened the door. Let me ask you this question, Brett. (laughs) You're saying it is improbable if I left at 11 for me to say traffic is bad. 
I'll get there 1230 the earliest. Is that what you're saying? Is Brett, don't even answer that, Ben. Why would you leave at 11 if you knew that we were shooting? You're supposed at to get ele- there at 11. Were, we were going to start <laughs> at 11. But Brett, keep going now. Keep, keep, keep okay, going. Okay, so yeah, Ben tried to make a point that was just totally irrelevant. So yeah. Ben was supposed to arrive at 11, not, not le- depart at 11. So Ben apparently departs at 11. 11 turns to 12. 12 turns to 1230. We're like, where is Ben? Like, we're like been waiting on him now. Not the full true story, because I had called you and said, hey, around 1030, I said, hey, I called Jordy. I said, I'm running a little late. I'm going to be leaving soon. I had a very hectic morning. I did say that. I wasn't like out of the blue. So this is is actually what happened. So it's around 1215 now. And Brett and I are looking at each other like, what's going on, man? Where is he? Uh, And Brett and Ben are texting, I think, back and forth. And, And Ben sends a text in the brother chat saying, hey, you know, still run a little bit behind. Just hang tight. I'll be there soon. Brett, Brett, Brett has a short fuse for certain things. This, this was one of them. So I saw Brett getting visibly upset. Um, there was an angry phone call exchange between Brett and Ben that lasted all of 10 seconds. And then what tends to happen in these situations that I love is Ben then calls me, right? Because I'm sort of like the arbiter <laughs> between the two brothers. Like when things get really heated, I know how to calm Brett down and same vice versa. And Brett's like, and Ben's like, Hey man, I'm, I'm really sorry. Like I'll, I'll be there as, as soon as I can. I'm really hustling to get there. Okay. And so then I spend the rest of the 15 minutes then waiting for Ben, just calming Brett down, trying to keep his blood pressure down. 1230 hits and Ben goes here. I get a text from Ben here. And there's one problem. He wasn't here. And I had a big feeling that he was not here. So I walked out of my home. I looked around. I walked down the block. Maybe he's at the wrong house. I don't know. We'll see. And I said, Ben, where's here? Where are you right now? And it turned out that Ben went to the entirely wrong house in a different city. Um, He went to our dad's house not my house for some reason. He didn't read the text as to where we were going to be. And so then it took Ben another 40 minutes to then get to us after that, to which he complained that he only had an hour because he had a legal case. Well, that's the cherry on top. Ben walks in. He's like, hey, guys, I only have 50 minutes. I have stuff to do today. I have, I have, I have a legal thing. And we're like, Ben, we didn't make you late, buddy. You came late on your own. You went to the wrong place. You left at the time we were supposed to start shooting. I mean, how is this in any way our fault? But that's the that's a classic. And then, great and, then I, and then I and then I go in and before we start, I need a I need a cup of tea. <laughs> like, yeah, you're like the so, biggest diva. You're like, I need my M&Ms sorted yeah. by color. I need a cup of tea, black tea only. All right. All right. All right. But we got done what we had to get done. We got to see each other. It was incredible. We're going to see each other again soon. I was ordered to be at a court for one of my cases. Um, in the next 24 hours. So unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to see Jordy and Brett again until this weekend. But that is when the brother Olympics will take place. There will be tennis. There will, there will be, be trivia. There will Fine. be basketball. Yep. There will be sprinting on the beach. There will be a lot of act. There will be lots of we should activities. Take the run. We should take relay. The we'll do that. relay races and everything you could imagine. <laughs> Want to announce another very exciting Midas uh, announcement. Uh, Yesterday, we released a new Midas Media Network original called Kremlin File, which is the definitive podcast on the Russia-Trump connection. It will track and follow the rise of authoritarianism with the rise of Putin in Russia and the creeping authoritarianism across the world, but also provide prescriptive remedies about what democratic societies can do 
to champion pro-democracy and combat the propaganda machines of authoritarians across the world. I'm excited to work with Bunker Crew on this. We've got some incredible hosts. Brett, you want to talk more about this podcast? Yeah. First off, I want to tell everybody right now to go and subscribe to the Kremlin File podcast. It's a separate podcast from the Midas Touch podcast feed. So whatever podcast app you use, just go to your search and search for Kremlin File. You will see the trailer and episode one there waiting for you. Make sure you subscribe because that's where all the episodes are going to be. And this podcast, it's hosted by renowned researcher Olga Lautman, political activist Monique Kamara. It is a riveting journey through the rise of Putin. And I think what really really struck me about episode one are just the uncanny resemblances between what happened when Putin was instated in Russia in comparison to what's happening in America right now with the Republican Party, the gaslighting, the lies, the push for an authoritarian government. It all rings far too true for what's happening in America today. And that's why I think this piece is more important now than it's ever been before. And of course, it ties together everything with how Trump has been an asset of Russia for decades and decades and decades. And the people we're working on this project on also have done some of the most incredible work on the planet. I mean, these producers produce the documentary at that bunker crew. They produce the documentary Active Measures, which I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen. They produced the recent QAnon documentary that was out there that everybody was talking about. So if you really want to get to the bottom of Trump, Putin, of Putin's Russia, of the rise of authoritarianism in Europe and what it means for America. You got to listen to Kremlin File and just give it the first episode. I promise you will be hooked, hooked, hooked. And I'm looking in the comments now, um, seeing if anybody's already listened to it and seeing what they thought about it. So if you've seen it, share your thoughts about the podcast. It's just a really well done podcast. That's Kremlin File go and subscribe to the Kremlin File channel. Now, Andrew Cuomo, I want to address this from the outset. Um, Letitia James, New York State Attorney General, uh, issued the independent investigation findings, which indeed found that Governor Cuomo engaged in a pattern and practice of sexual harassment and that he engaged in serious wrongdoing. Andrew Cuomo denied it. His defense was uh, bizarre to say the least by showing photos of people in tragic situations who hugged other people. Yo, that um, was the weirdest defense I've ever seen. I mean, have you ever seen a more bizarre response to something like this than mm-hmm. posting a packet of pictures of you hugging people and other people hugging people? Look, it's me hugging my mother. Look, it's Joe Biden hugging Hillary Clinton. Look, it's Barack Obama with his arm around Michelle. Like, dude, that's not what is happening here. And I don't know how you could do that and not just cringe and be like, yeah, this is not the best look. And here's my thing, too, with him. It's like so I was in New York, obviously, when the pandemic first started. And look, you could respect the fact that he went on TV every single day and gave updates to New Yorkers and, you know, actually the whole United States. I think his press conferences were nationally televised at that point. You could respect that part about him. I think he did a good job doing that. But what you can't respect is what's going on right now. The accusations made against them, the definitive findings made against him from Letitia James. And frankly, he's got to resign. 
And Jordy, the uh, impeachment probe is taking place right now amongst the lawmakers within uh, your home state of New York. They've given Governor Cuomo until an August 13 deadline to submit his own evidence regarding their impeachment inquiry. Uh, Essentially, all of the New York Democratic delegation from the congressional level to the state representative level, to former leaders, you know, to Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi at the national level. Um, the Democratic uh, leadership has called for Andrew Cuomo to resign. But, Brett, in terms of have I ever seen a more bizarre response than Governor Cuomo's, the answer is, is yes. And um, it's in this context, and it's also in broader contexts. In this context, look at Congresswoman Elise Stefanik's response. Um, And to me, this is the height of hypocrisy. She issued a statement calling for the arrest of Governor Cuomo, saying no one is above the law. And today, justice must be served. It goes on to say, I was the first federal official to publicly call for an independent investigation into Governor Cuomo's sexual harassment, abuse, and assault. The independent investigation led by the Attorney General's office confirms Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed and assaulted multiple women. And it goes on to applaud the brave women who deserve swift and definitive justice. And I say this response is bizarre to say the least because she doesn't believe any of these things in, in reality. I mean, she supports Donald Trump and the GQP consistently stands behind sexual predators and pedophiles. Their leadership in Congress is run by sexual predators and pedophiles. People like Elise Stefanik stand shoulder to shoulder with people like Matt Gates and his ilk. That is who the GQP is. And so for Elise Stefanik and for all of these GQP members out there who claim and feign righteous indignation over Andrew Cuomo, they have people within their party's leadership who they don't call for their resignation, who they hoist up as the model citizens for Republicans who have rape allegations, allegations of disgusting pedophilia uh, around them. And that's who these people hold up as the leaders of their party and who they supported as the president of the United States and Donald Trump. I made this joke the other day, but it's funny because it's true. There's a lot of truth behind it. I joked around saying, oh, this must mean we should probably put Andrew Cuomo on the Supreme Court now, huh? We should probably elect Andrew Cuomo president now, huh? Because if we were the Republicans, that's exactly what we would do. They put these people in places of leadership to them. If a Republican did this, this is good behavior for them. This is behavior that should be mimicked. This is behavior that should be rewarded. It's locker room talk to them. Locker it's locker room, room talk. talk. It's, this is what you know, guys do. It's is just what, they what say. it's what just what Kavanaugh does with his buddy Squee when they pound a couple beers at the frat house. Tim and Squee, bro, they're just chilling at the frat house, just hanging with some girls. What's wrong with that? You're gonna really look into his past. Oh, Matt Gates. Oh, really? Oh, seventeen. Oh, psh. 
That's not really all that young. Oh, what is that? The fake news media? These are the things we hear nonstop from the right. So I don't want to hear a single damn word from them about Andrew Cuomo here because they are so incredibly intellectually dishonest. But I also want to give a round of applause to Democrats out there who have called out Cuomo's behavior here and called it out swiftly and called it out with a lot of passion because Cuomo has done a lot of good, Jordy. Like you said, I mean, Cuomo was a leader through this pandemic process when America was rudderless, when America was looking for somebody to guide us through this pandemic. And he has done so much good. And he is also incredibly popular in New York. Democrats, if they were the Republicans, they would try to keep this guy in office at all costs. But they know the difference between right and wrong. And I hope that that could be a model for our politics going forward. But with these Republicans, it's just not going to happen. A Republican investigation into this, if you had a Republican state AG, they would say that they were investigating and either there would be no actual investigation taking place or they would stop the credible allegations from even being reported and they would not listen to it. Just look and Brett gave the example of Kavanaugh. What we know about the investigation into Kavanaugh is that the GQP members basically instructed the FBI not to accept the credible allegations and not to allow those allegations to see the light of day. And so what the GQP does is doesn't even let these investigations take place. They find their results in these investigations would say it's inconclusive and that there was, you know, multiple points of view, respect and no definitive agreement could be reached. And they would basically allow in this case, the, the Republican governor to basically say the investigation proved to be inconclusive and see, I should stay on. And that's just not what the Democrats do. It's not a hypothetical situation. I mean, it's, it's a this is a different scenario. But look at what Bill Barr did with the Mueller report. Look at how he released his own report to counter the Mueller report and didn't allow the Mueller report to be released for weeks. He was able Look at to what push- Bill Barr did with the DOJ, with the credible allegations uh, of, of defamation against Donald Trump. And they intervened and stepped in and said, hey, the DOJ is going to be representing Gene Carroll. Now, if the Republican Party had any sense of decency or dignity, they would be careful about what they're saying right now about Tish James because they are, oh, they are backing Tish James, every single word that Tish James says. They are all for it 150%. Tish James said this, the investigation has said this about Cuomo. Does she call herself Tish James? She does. We need to pursue this to the fullest extent of the law. Now, what I think this does, though, politically speaking, if we just back up for a second, is this gives a lot of legitimacy to Tish James as a nonpartisan arbiter of the law. So when Tish James is pursuing a case, she will not pursue it based on whether they have a D before their name or an R before their name, but based on the facts of the law. And when Tish James comes around, and she prosecutes Donald Trump, I hope that these were same Republicans who are lauding her right now understand that, no, this is not a politically motivated attack. This is somebody who has broken the law, violated the law, and must be punished for their crimes. And I think that's what's to come with Trump. This is a great point, Brett. And you could be sure that, well, I was going to say, 
we at Midas Touch, other organizations, we're of course going to have the screenshots of all these people praising and applauding Tish James to compare it to when they all basically say that Tish James is on a political witch hunt and that she's a democratic operative. Like, you know, that's what's going to come as the Trump investigation speeds up and gets more serious. But there is no intellectual consistency with this GQP at the end of the day. They really don't care because they realize at the end of the day, their voters just don't give a shit. All their voters care about are, are you owning the libs in a given day? And in this case, owning the libs means going after Andrew Cuomo. Um, But owning the libs tomorrow will mean going after Tish James. And owning the libs today for these crazy GQP members also means being pro-insurrection. It means being against vaccine. Because as long as the libs are for something, even if it's backed by the science, for GQP members, they're against it. A Quinnipiac poll shows that, well, these are the numbers that are consistently out there. 63% of Americans support the January 6th Select Committee and 32% oppose the Select Committee. It's crazy. It's crazy that that always comes up. We say it all the time on the show, but like we mean it. There's that 30, 32% of the country that's just unsalvageable at this point. And we have to just be not okay with it, but we have to understand that. And then we have to motivate that 70% of folks that are reasonable. And I'll tell you, people might say like, there's got to be some way to break through to the 30%. These people are fucking killing themselves rather than listening to Democrats. They are literally killing themselves and willfully taking their lives by refusing to listen to Democrats on basic things like wear a damn mask and take a vaccine, a life saving vaccine. If you can't convince somebody to change with the fear of death, then I don't think there's any helping these people. I mean, we I just saw the report of that Texas state Republican executive committee member who died of covid after telling everyone on Twitter, you're an enemy to the free people. You are the enemy of the state. Just criticizing doctors. I think he had like a rap song that he released filled with covid disinformation. But guess what, bro? You're not saying any words anymore. You're dead. You're dead now. You're not going to be doing you're not going to be doing any more raps to own the libs. There's no owning the libs from the grave. Sorry. Sorry. I'll say this. The GQP leadership fancies themselves like Al Qaeda martyrs uh, for stupidity. They view themselves as suicide bombers, um, but in the name of not wearing masks in public settings. Just think about the level of stupidity around that. Their biggest issue of civil rights is not taking a vaccine that's going to save the lives of them and their family. And they think about themselves as civil rights leaders. When you look in the mirror, you are not just Al Qaeda. You are the dumbest version of Al Qaeda that exists. You stupid GQP fucks. And that's the thing. You hinted at a great point, too. It's not just them. Like if they want to become, you know, suicide, whatever, like, fine, whatever, die. We don't care about you. But like for you to not have any self-awareness to protect your own family and to keep them safe and just to not care, like that level of disrespect for just the people around you, like who you say that you love, 
that's what you want to do? This is this is the hill that you want to die on? Literally? Literally. The problem is, Jordy, is that they've taken mask wearing and getting the vaccine and everything that we've been speaking about so far in this episode. They view it as a loyalty test in their mind, which is a very that's a key proponent of an authoritarian kind of style of leadership, where if you step out of the box of what we are telling you to do, then you don't support anything that we do. Your entire identity revolves around you obeying what we say. And so if we tell you that wearing a mask is unpatriotic, if we tell you that you should not get the vaccine and you do it, you have betrayed us. You have betrayed your family. You have betrayed everyone you know. That's why they won't do it, because it really is a Jim Jones style cult Kool-Aid drinking thing at the end of the day for these people. They cannot get the vaccine because it will totally shift their entire identity. And I think it's been interesting to see we're speaking a lot about governors in this episode, and we're talking about the sexual assault allegations of Cuomo. I think it's important that we mention what's happening right now with governors across the country and COVID is obviously a big subject, but we're seeing right now a lot of silence from Republicans on the fact that Governor Ron DeSantis is literally killing his people. This is becoming like a genocide at this point in Florida, where nearly one third of all the cases in the country of COVID-19 are coming from the state of Florida and Texas, two states which have notoriously defied all the recommendations of public health officials, have released merchandise mocking public health officials trying to save lives. And we saw DeSantis just a few weeks ago release merchandise that said, don't Fauci my Florida, don't Fauci my Florida. Well, one in every like 1400 Floridians is now in the hospital. I think, yes, please, Fauci Florida, Fauci the entire country, because you're killing us. Don't Fauci my Florida, don't DeSantis my family, you jagoff. Governor DeSantis, he goes back to the GQP playbook here, which is blame immigrants. I'm not even sure. Play the video so we can just try to even dissect. I don't think it's possible, but play the video of what DeSantis uh, said recently. Uh, Joe Biden has taken to himself to try to single out Florida um, over COVID. Uh, This is a guy who ran for president saying he was going to, quote, shut down the virus. And what has he done? He's imported more virus from around the world by having a wide open southern border. Why don't you do your job? Why don't you get this border secure? And until you do that, I don't want to hear a blip about COVID from you. There's so many layers to that that probably need to be discussed. Uh, On the one hand, DeSantis, Death Santis, is pro-COVID. He's been enacting legislation and orders that prevent private businesses, that has his own government intervene to prevent private business from being safe, from having common sense mask mandates and to requiring the vaccine. DeSantis is someone who's done that with school districts to prevent school districts to try to be healthy. DeSantis has promoted the spread of COVID. 
And then he blames Biden for the spread of COVID in the state where he's the governor, which is the most pathetic form of leadership in the world by death Santos, because you could literally compare his state and how they're doing to other states and how other states are being led by true leaders, which are usually democratic states. And then he does the usual playbook, which is blaming immigrants for COVID. And so just kind of what is it? Is COVID serious or is it not serious, Death Santis? Because what you seem to be saying also is this is a serious disease. So you can get everybody vaccinated and correct that. But you're out there spewing untruths about COVID. And so it's just such a problematic opinion that leads to people being killed. I saw a a funny quote going around online that said the irony of these anti-vaxxers saying they don't want to be a part of what they call an experiment is that they're now part of the control group. And (laughs) we're seeing the effects of that. I thought that was brilliant. You are part of the experiment. And guess what? Our hypothesis is proving true. Because you are the ones who are in the hospitals. And by the way, look at a fucking map, Ron DeSantis. You're not on the border. There's no border country right on top of you. Can you you pull that graphic up? Oh, yeah. Let me pull it up right now. So you could see if you look at this image. In fact, if you look at the image, it looks like it all is stemming from Florida and coming out of Florida, which would lead me to say that maybe perhaps the most dangerous border in the United States of America is actually the Florida border. And that everybody, all the states on the Florida border should be petrified to be that close to a state that is willfully killing its citizens and spreading a dangerous disease. One of the things that the GQP does also, you know, which is just kind of pure gaslighting. I don't know if you saw this, Brett. Myself, Brett, Jordy, we're all vaccinated. And when we get together, you know, in a safe environment, you always see like the GQP go into some of your messages and basically be like, all three of you should have been wearing masks when you saw each other as family. Well, look, we know as brothers that we're all vaccinated um, and we at the end of the day practice safe conditions. You are the ones spreading it. We're afraid of you. We're afraid of going into public and catching it from and catching it from you at the end of the day. So it's just so weird that they should be the ones who are what you're gaslighting me for not wearing masks <laughs> when, when you're you're the proponent. And, and it goes back to that Elise Stefanik quote. They're just gaslighters yep. at the end of the day. You're promoting as a president, the biggest sexual predator out there. And your party is led by pedophiles and you're out there throwing stones when you live in the ultimate GQP glass house. You stand for nothing, GQP, other than the destruction of the United States of America and death, which is why me, Brett, Jordy, everybody listening to this, the movement that has been helped built by people like you have been listening it are fighting back against it every day. We'll be right back after these messages with Representative Malcolm Kenyatta. What's up, Midas Mighty? Did you know that companies around the world produce 2 billion pounds of new plastic every day? Yet no matter how much we put in our recycling bin, 
just 9% of plastic actually gets recycled. I want to tell you about Grove Collaborative, a website that I use. And Grove Collaborative, they believe it's time to stop making single-use plastic. Grove Collaborative is an online marketplace that delivers healthy home, beauty, and personal care products directly to you. Imagine going to a website where literally all the good stuff that's going to be healthy for you, your family, your pets, your home. Join over 2 million households who choose to shop sustainably at Grove. Shipping is fast and free on your first order. Choose products that are better for you and the planet. It's never been easier than this for a limited time. When our listeners go to grove.com slash Midas Touch, that's grove.com slash Midas Touch, M-E-I-D-A-S-T-O-U-C-H, you will get to choose a free starter set with your first order. Go to grove.com slash Midas Touch, Get your exclusive order. I'm telling you, you will love this website and be a return customer the way I am and the way my brothers are. That's grove.com slash Midas Touch. Woo! Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. Wow, we are joined by Representative Malcolm Kenyatta. Let's go. Let's go. Malcolm Kenyatta. Let's go, Jordy. Malcolm <laughs> Kenyatta serves on the Pennsylvania as a Pennsylvania state representative for the 181st district since 2019. And he is running for United States Senate. Malcolm Kenyatta, welcome to the Midas Touch podcast. I am so, so excited to be here. Um, and as I said before we got started, you know, I'm a big fan, so happy to be here. And that's a big honor for us to have a fan like you, a rising star in the Democratic Party. And as you're traveling Pennsylvania, as you're speaking to voters right now, what is the biggest issue that Pennsylvania voters are telling you is their biggest concern right now, Representative? So this election, right, and I think ultimately it's, it's every election, right? Because here's the thing, I'll, I'll lead off answering your question a little bit in an odd way. What's so frustrating for me and I think for a lot of voters is we are talking about the same stuff. We're talking about the same stuff that we've been talking about election after election after election. Right. We're talking about whether or not every family is going to have access to a good job and a safe community where their kids go to a good school and can really pursue whatever their God-given dreams and potential is. That's what we're talking about all the time. But I think right now, we know that there are two things that are at the core of this and every election. A, are we going to have a democracy? That is the big question right now. Are we even going to have a democracy? And then is that democracy going to work for working people? Is that democracy then going to address these really uh, persistent uh, concerns that have really impacted families like mine and communities like mine. I represent the third poorest district in the entire Commonwealth of, of Pennsylvania. And we are seeing Republicans in my state and nationally try to shut people up in my district, try to shut people up who look like me, who've had, who come from working class families like I do, voters who are young like me. They're trying to shut us up because they don't have any solution on how to deal with these concerns that have been 
talked about by voters election after election. And it's really not Democrat versus Republican that's yeah. on the ballot. It really is democracy and one party representing those values and the other party, whether they still could even be called Republican anymore. We call them the GQP because they've just become kind of crazy cultists, but who represent fascism. And that's on display in your state pretty much in, in, in a greater degree than, than maybe anywhere in the country. That's that's absolutely right. You know, I'd said this um, maybe last those last September or October. I said that my colleagues were acting a lot more like a cult than a caucus. They are dead set on doing everything they can to shut us up. You know, they talk about freedom and use all these these buzzwords, but you don't have any freedom if you can't participate in the democratic process. None of us can have freedom if we don't have the ability to show up as easily as possible to cast our vote. And that means show up physically at your polling location or or show up by mailing in in a ballot or show up at an early voting site. And again, I've been tying these two things together because they are inextricably linked. They want to block us from voting because they don't have any good ideas about how to actually help working families. And why I decided to even run for this is I've gotten so fed up with hearing so many people talk about me, talk about people who come from communities like me, but never want us to be in the room where decisions about whether we act or don't act are made. For so many folks, in Washington and in Harrisburg, the issues we're talking about are hypothetical, right? So when, you know, they can talk about educating all of our kids, but so many of those folks, their kids are going to great schools. So when we are standing up saying we need to fully fund our education and they're telling us to shut up, they don't even know what we're talking about. They don't even know what it means for families to send their kids to a place where there is lead, asbestos and mold like we have all across Pennsylvania. So as we talk about infrastructure nationally, I'm telling you, we have a lot of infrastructure projects that need to be done right here, but we can't get our colleagues to focus on it because their entire job has been to be at the beck and call of their big donors, the Commonwealth Foundation, which is basically a subsidiary of the Koch Brothers uh, Foundation. Those folks are the main donors for state level Republicans. And so they don't give a damn about what working families are talking about. They care about what do their donors need and what their donors need are completely out of line with what most Pennsylvanians need. No, we've seen what's happened in Arizona with the cyber ninjas, with their fake audit, which is completely crazy. You know, the Republicans in your state, though, apparently look at what the cyber ninjas are doing there and say, How can we get that crew into our state? What we really need in our state after even seeing all of the disaster. I mean, we all knew it was going to be a disaster, but the results speak for themselves that these are incompetent and crazy people. And the Republicans in your side look at that and go, you know what? We need that here. Does that just frustrate the heck out of you? You know, stupid is as stupid does. And you have these silly stunt queens going around the country, embarrassing themselves, embarrassing our state, not understanding why they lost. You know, instead of saying, hey, we lost this election, 
We need to really take a hard look at why the American people in such overwhelming numbers rejected the politics of destruction and division and elected Joe Biden and gave Democrats a majority in the House and the Senate. They have not stopped for one second to look in the mirror and say, maybe most Americans don't support us trying to limit their access to the polls. And that's why they came out in record numbers to kick us out of office. Maybe most Americans um, don't believe that we need to do more and more tax cuts for billionaires and for folks who are well off and well connected. And that's why they voted us out of office. Maybe most Americans don't buy into this idea that we should reject science, um, ignore the facts um, and tell people to not wear masks, not get vaccinated. Maybe most Americans don't agree with that, and that's why they've lost. Instead of having any ounce of self-awareness, they have gone down this, this fever dream path where we are now being asked to address lies that they told as some types of substantive fact. You know, so I have my colleagues who are saying, oh, we need to completely overhaul the election. And I call it their election reform, and I'm using air quotes, I call their election reform bill exactly what it was. It's garbage. I don't want to hear a damn thing from the people who wanted to burn down our whole democracy about what we need to do to secure democracy for the future. Firefighters don't go to arsonists and say, hey, what should we do for fire safety? We shouldn't be going to these, these folks asking them anything about how we secure our democracy for the future, because the way we secure it is to get them out of office. And so they're anti-democracy and these stunt queens are pro-COVID at the end of the day. And they go out there and they literally cheer on the virus and lead their own followers to death. It's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's sick and it's, um, it's sick and it's painful. Because, you know, my, my partner lost a number of grandparents during this, not all from, from, from COVID, but because of the virus, we weren't able to go and be with family as folks are, are, are grieving to mourn that loss. Them rooting for COVID, as you said, has led to a loss of folks' lives, of folks' livelihoods, all to in their minds, score political points. They are willing to see the destruction of our economy and to see widespread death to continue to amplify a message from a guy who's not even taking his own advice. Trump got vaccinated. These other folks who are saying, don't get vaccinated, they're vaccinated. They're safe. And they're willing to tear everybody else uh, down, to lead folks down, rather, a path of death and destruction because they think it helps them politically, even as they keep themselves and their families safe. And that is actually really sick. Do you think that Republicans at this point are just viewing everything as if it's kind of some hypothetical game, as if they're in like a match at the Olympics or something like, do they even view their words as having tangible effects on people or are they just trying to win at all costs? So here's what's really sad, and this is just my experience in the state legislature. When I get to, to Washington, I'll get to know some of these other Republicans uh, better, and I'll be able to tell you. What has been really um, sad for me is that I think it's 25-75, right? You have 25% of my colleagues who are just batshit crazy, okay? They really believe this stuff. Um, not only do they drink the Kool-Aid, they make, they make the Kool-Aid, right? They are, they are in it. 
But then you have 75% of folks who are just cowards. And they know better. They know better. You know, some of them I have worked with on issues, on everything from mental health care to reducing regulatory burdens, particularly for uh, returning citizens, to doing things we can to harden our, our digital um, infrastructure from intrusions from malicious actors, foreign and otherwise. You know, we've worked together on substantive things. But unfortunately, they believe that the way they keep themselves from getting a primary opponent is to repeat the most rabid, untethered from reality talking points that are pushed on Fox News and Newsmax. And I don't know where the former president is putting out his, his statements now. I know he's off Twitter. So wherever the hell they hear what he has to say, um, that is what they've decided to do. And that is really unfortunate. I've said over and over to my colleagues, what does it profit you to win a primary election and be responsible for the destruction of the very democracy that you raise your hand and swear to protect. What is it possible? We had representative Eric Swalwell on the show recently, and he described what you were talking about, not the, the full believers, but the people who he thought were kind of acting about it. He recounted a story, for example, of Ted Cruz, who during the impeachment came to him on the sidelines and said, hey, I think you did a really great job out there. Keep up the good work. And then went out on Fox News and bashed him that night. And what Swallow referred to it as is it excuse my language, he basically called it WWE performative bullshit. Is that how you see it? Have you had any interactions with Republicans like Representative Swalwell did, where they say one thing in public and then come to you on the side and they're like, hey, I think you're doing I think you're doing a great job out there. Oh, absolutely. That's why I you know, mentioned the twenty five seventy five. Right. Because. I have so many of my colleagues who say, oh, well, Malcolm, you know, my, my voters look and they show me their Facebook posts and say, look, these people don't think we're, I'm doing enough, you know, so, you know, I, I just have to say this. I had a Republican leader who said to me during the height of the pandemic, and you know, our caucus, I would assume every single member of our caucus is now vaccinated, but at the height of the pandemic, you know, trying to get folks to wear masks because we never... Um, you know, really broke from session. I mean, we were working the entire time. I serve on the state government committee. I'm on that committee. I'm the chair of the subcommittee on campaign finance and elections. But that subcommittee, just by virtue of the name state government, you get a sense that is a pretty large bellywick. And the governor's mitigation efforts, we had oversight over those. And so they were bringing us in every day to say, well, let's just reopen zoos. Let's just reopen this. Let's just reopen that. Um, and I made some comments on the floor about them wearing masks, keeping each other safe, keeping our communities um, safe. And, you know, the speaker like gaveled me out of order or whatever, told me to be quiet. And then and then one of the Republican leaders afterwards says to me, you know, thank you so much for saying that. I don't know why they won't wear a mask. You know, you know, please keep it up. I said, no, you keep it up and go tell these folks what you're just saying to me right now. Tell your constituents what you say privately. They know this is nonsense. They know it's nonsense. And we are going to throw away this very fragile and precious experiment in democracy. Throw it away. All for a lie. It's so incredibly tragic, honestly, and, and infuriating, too. I think you've laid out the problem in such a clear and concise way. I think we all basically understand the threats to our democracy right now and the threats coming from the right. So 
if you become a senator, what actions are, would you be able to take that will actually be able to help push back against this threat? And what actions do current senators need to take right now to push back against this threat? What could we be doing? You know, first, I'll start with what individual people can do, right? And what individual people do is going to be part and parcel to how I get to the United States Senate. I said this in a speech that I gave in Gettysburg, where I laid out an eight-point plan about what I thought we need to do to secure our democracy. And what I said at the end of that was, democracy requires something of us. It requires something of each and every one of us. You all have used your platform in a way to elevate these, these issues, getting involved um, you know, with the skill sets that you have. Every single one of us have to get involved. As I see more and more people engage in direct action, um, risk arrest to urge the Senate to do what is necessary to get rid of the filibuster, which is not sacred. Filibuster is not sacred. But the things that the filibuster is blocking are sacred. Your right to a ballot is sacred. And we have to make a choice. Are we going to defend an arcane rule? Are we going to defend the Jim Crow filibuster more than we defend the right for every single American to choose who their elected officials are? And so this is a moment where everybody needs to recognize the fragility of the time that we are in and put everything on the line to ensure that we elect leaders who are crystal clear about doing what it takes to protect and expand the right to vote and to elect leaders who are laser focused on making life better for working people. Because as I say over and over again, these things are directly linked because Republicans have bad ideas on how to help working people. They want to shut working people up, but working people can't shut up. We cannot give our power away. And we have an opportunity right now to have a big, bold majority. So we're not waiting on what does Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema want. If we get a bigger, bolder majority, we can do more than just pass infrastructure, which we need to. We can do more than just pass the reconciliation bill, which we need to. We can take some of these things that we've been working on and actually make them permanent and shift the um, lives of families like mine in a robust and sustainable way. So, Representative, I, I've lived in New York. I've lived in Ohio. I lived in California. Now I'm living in Pennsylvania. Yeah. The people of Pennsylvania, man, they're just the best attributes of, of everyone I've ever really ever been around. Specifically, you know, the Democrats here are just amazing. How do we keep them motivated through 2022 and beyond? Yeah, you know what? It's a, it's a part of the reason that I, that, I, that I decided to run because we know historically in midterm elections, big portions of the Democratic um, base um, sit out those elections. Um, you know, here in Pennsylvania, you know, there are over a half million more Democrats than there are Republicans. And so our issues with winning statewide elections is not that there aren't enough people who believe what Democrats say we believe. They are not always sure if we believe what we say we believe. And a part of the way we have a government that actually works for working people is we have to have more working people in government. You know, my dad was a social worker. My mom was a home health care aide. They adopted my three siblings and divorced when I was very young. Um, my mom and my, my sisters, because my brother is much, much older, um, we moved five or six different times 
growing up. I got my first job at 12 years old, washing dishes at this little vegan soul food restaurant to help my mom pay the utility bills. And sadly, I buried both of my parents before I turned 27 because they didn't have access to quality health care. And I think about the cruel irony of the fact that my mom is home health care aide, working with folks who had severe physical and mental disabilities, that she spent every single day, 12, 16 hours a day, working to make sure other people got their medication on time and then came home to ration her own insulin. That is a story that so many Pennsylvanians understand that they are living through right now. But we have not elected or nominated nearly enough people who understand these issues in their bones, not in a hypothetical way, not in a philosophical way, but who understand it in their bones because they've been there. And on every single one of these issues that we are um, discussing and that you talk about all the time, these things aren't hypothetical. Even when we think about the right to vote, they're not trying to stop everybody from voting. They're trying to stop certain people from voting, black and brown folks, young voters, um, seniors, all the folks who have been the conscience of this country throughout our history. They're trying to shut those folks up. They're trying to shut up working people. And so I think a part of the way we excite people is to make sure we nominate folks who come from the masses of whom we depend on to get an office in the first place. We can't say we care about working people, but then say, no, 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 we're not going to nominate one. I think working people, I think we can speak for ourselves. I think we can do better than just having a spokesperson for our concerns, having people who cosplay concern for us. We can speak for ourselves. And that, that's why I decided to run. And I think that's going to excite a lot of people. Well, Representative Malka Kenyatta, it's always an honor when we can have a guest on here who we admire and who inspire us. After an interview like this, this is like fuel in the Midas Touch engine that as soon as we're off this, me and my brothers are going to be talking about, all right, we got to even work harder than ever. We're super motivated and we're super honored that you are on the Midas Touch podcast. Thank you so much. Happy to do it. You take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Representative Malka Kenyatta, everybody. We will be right back after these messages. Welcome back, Midas Mighty, to the Midas Touch podcast. I could tell you I'm feeling mightier after that representative Malcolm Kenyatta interview. Truly an inspiring candidate. Uh, while, while we were in the uh, commercial break, I was like, yo, like that was a special interview. Got me pumped up. Like, I'm excited. I'm ready to go after hearing him speak. I'm excited to see him out there, and I'm wishing him all the best with his campaign. I think we got some great candidates running for Senate on the Democratic side of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, obviously, such an important state for us, and we got to keep that seat out of the hands of the GQP. Let's go, PA. How jealous are you guys that he's in my home state? It was slightly jealous. I mean, it okay. didn't really make me that jealous, but it was cool. Yeah, it's a cool right. coincidence. <laughs> Speaking of uh, the representative Kenyatta interview, no, Jordy, I'm extremely jealous of you. Speaking of the representative Kenyatta interview, he mentioned the infrastructure bill and he talked about the dilapidated state of infrastructure in his district within Pennsylvania as a whole. And look, the Democrats under Biden have put forward a actual infrastructure plan. This isn't some made up infrastructure week that uh, is promised forever like Trump's other Ponzi schemes, but never comes to fruition because 
of an inability to execute, but an ability to constantly scam people as Trump and his ilk often do. But one of the interesting things about the Biden infrastructure plan is it does truly appear to have bipartisan support in the Senate. We know, of course, Democrats who helped draft this want more and had to give on some certain issues, which I think are unfortunate, but it is still a significant package. But let's listen to what Mitt Romney had to say about the infrastructure bill recently. I, for one, think this bill is a good bill on balance. It'll be good for my state. I think it'll be good for every state. We'll get an upgrade, a badly needed upgrade in the infrastructure of this country. Again, is it ideal? Perfect? Far from it. But it's a big step forward and one heck of a huge step. There you have Senator Romney talking about his support for a bipartisan infrastructure bill. And interesting, Senator Bill Cassidy from Louisiana went on the Laura Ingram show of all places and I think unexpectedly showed support as well for the infrastructure bill on a platform that's railed against it. Play the clip. Reuters describes this as uh, a glide path to the $3.5 trillion tonight and their write-up of this, Senator. So your response. So a couple of things. It is the person in my state stuck in traffic who's fearful of their home flooding, who wants to have a better job, that actually would like to make more money but doesn't make a lot of money now, who really likes this bill. I talked to Fox News watchers. They love this bill. Now, is there somebody who's wealthy? But actually, for the wealthy, this means less. They have chauffeurs. They have private jets. They can fly here and there if it floods. It's the people who live in their own home who are at risk of flooding who like but this. But Senator, now, why did At the end, Laura Ingram try to butt in and get all loud and probably kick uh, him, him right off the show. But you're seeing this bipartisan support breakthrough because I think infrastructure across the board is an issue that has bipartisan support from the people. I mean, everybody acknowledges the main functions of government. If you're going to argue about anything what government is supposed to do, at its core, government is supposed to get you roads and bridges and make it so that it's safe to travel and things like that. Infrastructure could not be more important. And Trump touted infrastructure for so long that I think even polling is showing that Trump voters are supportive of the infrastructure bill, even those who hate Joe Biden, even those who hate Democrats, which is all of them. They love this infrastructure bill. We, we, we need it. And uh, once again, I've said this you know, many times, but I don't trust the Republicans at all. I never give them the benefit of the doubt. I never think at the end of the day they will do the right thing. But it is comforting to see some of them peeling off and actually acknowledging at least the polling that's coming to them, saying that they better get behind this bill because their ass will be on the line if they don't. It's weird, but it's not weird that they had to wait for the polling to come. Like it's very numbers based, right? Yeah, I, I guess that's what we want, right? They're they're listening to their constituents, but like at the most core level, shouldn't they have known like that this was good for the country, that this would have been good for their constituents? Why did they have to wait this long? I mean, Jordy, we we seeing it all over with the vaccines too, right? And the mask mandates, like they are ignoring the science. They are ignoring what's best for the country. And then it takes until COVID rates spike yeah. and people are dying in record numbers for them to go, oh, maybe that was a, I don't think maybe it, that was a bad no, idea. I, I don't think it has anything to do with the people that are dying in record numbers. It's they, they're just very reactive to the data that they're given saying, I will not win reelection if I don't support this now. Oh, totally. Everything Republicans do could be 
brought down to two things, power and money, period. That's how the Republican Party makes their entire decisions. It's never about what is right for the country. It's how will this keep us in power and how will this keep us richer and keep working people down? And so it's not until you see those seismic shifts in the electorate that you see Republicans changing their policies. I know we spoke about vaccines earlier, but I think it's important that we note what we saw with Governor Hutchinson, who was a Republican from Arkansas, who said that he completely regretted a bill that he signed into law that banned local mask mandates. He signed this in, I think, about a month ago or so. Mm -hmm. And now he's saying, in hindsight, he wishes that that had not become law. And I'll play just a brief clip of that. I signed it for those reasons that our cases were at a low point. Everything has changed now. And yes, in hindsight, I wish uh, that had not become law. Uh, But it is the law. And the only chance we have is either to amend it or Uh, for the courts to uh, say that it has an unconstitutional uh, foundation. And that's the problem, though, right? It's that once you go that far, once he signs that bill, there's no easy way to get rid of it. It's Mm. already in law. So they would either have to pass another law and good luck getting that through the state government Mm. to get on his desk or I don't really know what their other options are. They already what? made it law. Now the Delta variant, you have Delta Plus, you're going to have Lambda, you're going to have all these various variants destroying his state and there's nothing he could do. And it's a problem entirely self-made by the governor. And now he regrets it. But guess what? Your people are dying now. It's yeah, too little, late. And I'm happy he's coming around and acknowledging it. But what the fuck, man? It's crazy. What's that expression? It's uh, hindsight 2020. But now it's uh, 2021 and 600,000 Americans are dead. And look, we have a CDC whose sole job is to investigate these things. It is the number one center for disease control in the world that provides the best data, the best scientists. It is the best and brightest of American ingenuity. And had we followed their advice from day one, And if their advice evolves to reflect better and better and better science and continue to follow that advice, we would be much safer as a nation. So when people go, you're truly going to believe the CDC? Yes. Yeah, I I am. I'm going to believe the CDC over some Facebook troll giving me fake statistics who's not a PhD who hasn't studied uh, disease control. And so, yes, we do trust experts. And and Brett, I I think we would be remiss. And Jordy, I don't want to leave you out, Jordy. Brett and Jordy, we would leave me out. I noticed that you always say and Brett and Brett and Brett. And people have let me know. They're like, why doesn't he say and Jordy? And Ben, can you answer? Can you answer? I just did. I just corrected. Maybe because when I do try to correct myself like that and try to become a better person, you make it all about yourself. And so I I exposed myself. Okay. I tried to call myself out live and and that's how you make me feel. So maybe, maybe have you thought about the way you treat me? (laughs) Anyway, I do want to talk about though. There is a story that you may have heard about Tucker Carlson going to Hungary and speaking at a man a far right convention there. So let me just explain what this hungry obsession is. Uh, First and foremost, what would your guess be, Jordy? I know you feel left out. So what do you think, Jordy, the gross domestic product is? This is is what you do. This is is you to a T. 
you try and make me look like a jackass after I put you on the spot for something that you actually do. And you know what? I'm not going to play your game. I'm not going to play your game. Brett. What's the GDP of Hungary? A fairly basic question. I, I Give me 2019's GDP of Hungary. How about we start there? You know what? I'm going to leave. <laughs> I'm going to leave. <laughs> so let me tell you this. The GDP of Hungary is $163 billion, which is less than the net worth of some of the richest American billionaires, um, and which is significantly less than what our infrastructure package is, um, and which represents- I'll compare it to California. California's GDP is $3.09 trillion. Okay, that's the best way to to explain it, Brett. And then you have all of these far-right Americans going to Hungary and supporting their far-right leaders there, which are true- fascist parties like our GQP has become, and they praise it. So over the past few years, Hungary, led by its nationalistic and authoritarian ruler, Viktor Orban, has become a mecca of the far right, with conservative pundits embarking on pilgrimage to the Central European nation. That's stated in a Vanity Fair article, but I think sums it up from August 3rd of 2021. And the article goes on to say that Tucker Carlson was joined by his peers and traveled to Budapest to support Orban's regime. And this is a quote again from this same Vanity Fair article. We're in Budapest all this week for Tucker Carlson tonight and a documentary for Tucker Carlson originals. So they are going into a far right fascist led country to promote them. And it should be stated essentially all white to tout Hungary as the Mecca for anti wokeness in contrast to the United States of America, which is the most powerful country. I genuinely think that Tucker Carlson would rather have Victor Orban lead the United States than Joe Biden. Without a doubt. And I think the trip reveals a lot of what we've been saying. It's that the GQP is an authoritarian fascist movement and they're not hiding it. You know, I think it might sound ridiculous if we said this out loud. I mean, but Tucker Carlson, I know he's a Fox News host. I have no doubt in my mind that the guy has autocratic ambitions of ruling like a Hungarian despot. I have no doubt in my mind that if Tucker Carlson could be a fascist dictator of the country, he would absolutely do that. And I think part of that, part of his trip to Hungary right now is going and planting those seeds and learning how they operate. The comments that he's made about Hungary and why he likes Hungary so much, apart from the strongman aspect of it, which he has stated that attracts him to Hungary, Uh, the ethno-nationalism, everything that's going on there in terms of those respects. But one comment in particular was very revealing to me. And he applauded Hungary and their authoritarian leader by saying, congratulations, because you're truly hated by all the right people. You're truly hated by all the right people. I think that to me is the main ideology of the Republican Party today being hated by, in their mind, who are truly the right people? Are you pissing off the lips? doesn't matter if you're going to die. 
Are you pissing off the libs? In that case, you're hated by the right people and you're doing a good job. Are you pissing off Fauci? Do you piss off Fauci, who's been telling you all this data? Are you bothering him? Well, then you're doing a great job. It doesn't matter if what you're doing is good for the country, bad for the country, good for you personally. Heck, it doesn't matter if what you're doing is going to kill you personally. As long as you're making other people mad and owning the libs, that's all you need. I think what we need to reflect on, though, is this idea of a propagandist who controls media uh, becoming a fascist leader to truly understand what Tucker Carlson is doing here. It's right out of the fascist playbook. When you look and you study Mussolini, when you look and you study Hitler, these were individuals who ran fascist, far-right, totalitarian, anti-Semitic, nationalistic, disinfo-style newspapers in their states. And that's how they actually rose to prominence. Um, For Mussolini, it was El Popolo d'Italia. Of course, you know that, Jordi. Um, For Hitler, um, what was it for Hitler, Jordi? Of course, Jordi, it was the Volkischer Bielbachter. Um, was a daily newspaper published by Nazi Germany <laughs> from the 1920s until the third until the Third Reich, and we see here with Fox News really a commonality there of not just being okay with spreading fascism here, but connecting to a broader international fascistic movement. And we should really know that that's what's behind it. If you go into this Vanity Fair article, and I would tell everybody to read it, the headline is Tucker Carlson is joining the right wing parade to, quote, illiberal Hungary. Uh, You got to read this article. It also talks about a open secrets investigation researcher, Anna Masaglia, who reported that Tucker Carlson and Fox were actually part of an ongoing foreign influence operation. Um, which this Hungarian government is paying D.C. lobbyist firms to help funnel money through. And I I would say that's also great reporting and fairly obvious because we can literally see it happening. I was just thinking (laughs) about how this is more projection also. Like, I I never really gave this thought until now. But what's like the number one thing that the QAnon people that the right always kind of hammer? They go, the left wants to create a new world order. That's what Tucker is trying to do here. Tucker is trying to create his own kind of Axis powers 2.0 and have this axis of evil of Hungary, of Russia, of all the autocrats around the world and have America be a part of it led by him or somebody like him. Honestly, I know we have had guests on the show who've brought up the threat of somebody like a Governor DeSantis, somebody like Tucker to me is a whole lot scarier to me even than a DeSantis as far as somebody who has ambition, who is able to persuade people on the right, and who has these autocratic ambitions that he is pursuing on a daily basis. And, you know, we also tell people to read this article about Steve Bannon, who is trying to create a right-wing political academy in Italy, um, and ultimately... He was not able to set that up. But if you think about the efforts in the Trump administration to start reaching out and building these relationships 
with fascist leaders. Um, it was all about realignment of power away from democracy, which is why he was so against our allies, against the G7. He would mock our allies and he would talk positively about Putin. He would talk positively about Kim Jong-un. He would talk positively about other fascist leaders um, across the world um, because what he wanted was a Mussolini-Hitler-style um, realignment um, and a propping up of right wing. So it's another reason why to connect this to why, why are the Midas Touch brothers doing a podcast called Kremlin File? Because we want to show you what's at the root of this. And at the root of this is the rise of authoritarianisms and fascists. And remember, across history, we've seen the rise of fascists. It's not like this is a new phenomenon. But what is a new phenomenon historically is since the 18th century, the idea of democracy being a successful, beautiful experiment of bringing people together um, has been something that's seemed to work. But everybody's acknowledged the difficult of democracies. And in this current digital age where disinfo can swarm, we've seen authoritarian leaders pick apart democracies across the country, feed disinfo to people and try to create a realignment of power. So again, make sure you subscribe to Kremlin File. And that's just the beginning for Midas Media Network as well. Uh, Midas Media Network will be rolling out other original series that we're excited to bring you. As we told you, we were committed. Brett and Jordy have left their jobs to do this full time. We're as committed as you can be to making this a reality. And this is a pro-democracy movement, a pro-democracy media network. When someone asks, what does the Midas Media Network do? We celebrate democracy. Does that mean every one of our originals is going to be ultra political? No, it doesn't. A lot of them are going to be. But at its core, the thread you're going to find in all of our content is a celebration of democracy and a celebration of what it took to fight against thousands of years of fascism, of kings and queens and people who ruled despotically and why this movement has been so important and why we need to preserve it and save it. I want to give a shout out to all the Midas Mighty out there. And I want to also thank you for uh, supporting Midas Touch by getting Midas Touch gear. I seen, I went to Costco this past weekend and I saw there uh, another, it was a, a family, but there were two people in the same family. One was wearing a vaxxed and relaxed um, t-shirt and one was wearing oh, a vaxxed bracelet. Let's go. And I didn't, I didn't stop them and I kept on shopping, but uh, <laughs> it, 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 it made me really happy to see it's always great to see. And we have a new product in the store now, too, for all the fans of Kremlin File. We have these great 
free Navalny shirts that y'all should check out. Help put it up, the put it up on the screen for them to put see it, it up right now. It's really, it's really great. And we're really excited to be expanding this pro-democracy mission. And at the end of the day, our pro-democracy efforts start with you out there listening, you making phone calls, you making text messages, you telling your friends what you've learned in these podcasts and using it as a platform from which you could go and spread pro-democracy messages around communities across this country and around the world. So we want to thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Midas Touch podcast. It's always so much fun doing these shows. Guys, guys, we're loving where can, the live. Where can they get the gear? Where can get they the get gear the gear? At store.midastouch.com. I think they could read it, Jordy, on the bottom before. Yeah, but, but our listeners, the audio listeners, Ben, unfortunately, the, the people who are just strictly listening to the podcast, Ben, they can't read what's on the screen right now. store.midastouch.com. And thank you all for for supporting us and supporting Midas Touch. And most importantly, for supporting democracy and the health and well-being of yourself and your family. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Thank you again for listening to the Midas Touch podcast. And we'll see you next week, guys. You know where it's at. Oh, I'll see you for Legal AF this weekend. Another episode of Legal AF with me and Popak. So get ready for that. Yeah, we're breaking down some legal issues. And we'll see you next time, Midas Mighty, next week on the Brother Midas Touch podcast. Thank you so much. Shout out to the Midas Mighty!